Hello and welcome to the podcast from the Foundation for Science and Technology. During this month of February 2024, we will be having a series of discussions about digital technology and AI in the run-up to an event that the Foundation is holding on the 28th of February in London. For the second of these podcasts, I'm joined by Lord Clement Jones, Tim Clement Jones, Liberal Democrats House of Lords spokesman for Science, Innovation and Technology. Lord Clement Jones is the former chair of the Lord Select Committee on AI, the current co-chair of the All-Party Parliamentary Group on AI, and a founding member of the OECD's Parliamentary Group on AI, amongst several other roles. Uh, Tim Clement Jones, welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much, Gavin. Um, so before diving into AI regulation, can we start with why we need that regulation? What are the, the consequences and possible downsides of AI that might need to be addressed via regulation? Yes, I think that is the absolute first question that needs answering. Um, and it's one that actually the House of Lords came to grips with when we did our original select committee. But of course, the, that was in the days before Frontier AI, uh, when we weren't looking so much at the risks of uh, what large language models would do. Uh, we were looking at predictive AI. Well, predictive AI is the sort of thing that governments use for you know, automated decision making. Uh, uh, and we were concerned about, uh, if you like, historic data sets, which uh, reflected biases and therefore um, once you know used to train predictive AI systems would result in biased decisions and and so on we were uh, that was really where we were coming from and, and then we were also very concerned about if you like the autonomous aspect of AI um, which of course now we're much more concerned about in the weapons area uh, than anything else. But of course, Frontier AI has given it a whole new dimension because of uh, what it can do in terms of um, impersonation, synthesization of uh, uh, humans um, and their behavior. Um, and of course, it can include discriminatory messages uh, within uh, those deep fakes, if you like. So it's a kind of double jeopardy that we seem to be finding ourselves in. If you like, you know, frontier AI on top of predictive AI added to, you know, all the the improvements that are taking place. I mean, the, the improvements in some of these um, image uh, uh, creation um uh, 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 models like uh, DALI, for instance, I mean, uh, are astounding. I mean, we, we tend to focus on things like chat GPT and GPT-4 and so on. But actually, a lot of the image um, uh, frontier AI um, is pretty dramatic too, quite honestly. Mm. Well, I wanted to talk to you about the balance between the downsides and the upsides. And there are potentially huge benefits of AI. And it'd be good to tease out what some of the things are that we want to either ensure are enabled or at least not hindered by any regulation that we put in. So what, what are some of those things we want to make sure still happen? Yes, I know you put your finger on exactly why the right kind of regulation is important, because what you don't want to do is eliminate, if you like, the low risk forms of AI, the beneficial forms of AI, 
uh, that are um, so important. I mean, uh, you know, we've got a number of, of, of uh, meetings coming up in our all party group. And the things we like to talk about are things like connected cities and AI and sustainability, i.e. the achievement of, of the SDGs, uh, the, the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. Many of those in terms of, you know, what you might call precision agriculture um, could be game changing. And the same in healthcare. I mean, I, I, I wrote a paper recently on on AI and healthcare, and it was astounding just how many uh, uh, applications there are out there. You know, it's not just diagnosis of, um, of images of cancer and so on and so forth. It's the whole gamut of uh, different forms of healthcare um, uh, advisory um, functions that can um, really help our doctors and, and scientists in, in the uh, healthcare field. So you do not want to um, impede those, but what you need to do is make sure that they are applied ethically. So I think what you um, uh, need to do is sort of, first of all, you know, in a sense, say, right, OK, you need a risk assessment. And I think that's how you screen things um, for, um, if you like, if you're going to use the binary words, malicious versus beneficial, so to speak, or harmful versus ben beneficial. Mm. So we've got to navigate this uh, uh, upside and downside of AI and come up with a sensible set of regulations. And when we look at AI regulation, it's, it's clear that there's both national and international action needed. But let's let's start at the national level for now. Where do you think the UK is in terms of its approach to AI regulation? Um, I think we're, we're behind the curve and uh, and it's quite interesting. And, and by the way, um, I didn't mention education uh, when I was talking about applications. Education is absolutely um, on the cusp between it could be harmful, but it could be highly beneficial. That's another very good example yeah. of exactly, you know, where you've got to get this right. On the national front, I mean, when uh, and, and you know, it's, it's I find this interesting to say this. When Theresa May was prime minister, she was absolutely on the case. She gave a speech at Davos. Uh, uh, at uh, the, the World Economic Forum in January 2018, all about uh, AI, the governance of AI, responsible AI, uh, the opportunities for AI, but she got it right. And uh, at that time, they, they'd created the Center for Data Ethics and Innovation. We'd had um, the report by uh, uh, Wendy Hall and, and Jerome Pacenti on the opportunities and what we needed to do to upskill in the AI field. Um, we had the creation of the Office for AI. We had the creation of the Council for AI, all the businesses and, mm. if you like, academics and others involved in uh, making sure we had the right skills based and the right um, uh, uh, governance going forward. All that, we, you know, we were well ahead of the game and the CDEI did some very good work. Uh, they did a risk barometer, you know, exactly what was needed at the time. And we were making our way um, towards a white paper, which would set out what the governance framework would be. Well, you know, uh, we sort of shilly shallied. It took us a, a year longer than expected to deliver a white paper. Uh, we had changes in the office for AI. The CDEI was never put on a statutory basis. So what we've now come up with is um, a mantra that really sort of really regards uh, regulation as the enemy of innovation. 
So, mm. you know, the last thing anybody seems to want to do in the short term is uh, have a, a proper, if you like, legislative regulatory framework. It's all voluntary. It's about um, uh, exhorting the regulators to apply ethical principles without the power to enforce it and some sort of notional central body, whereas what we should be doing is designating the Information Commissioner's Office as the body that is going to um, uh, uh, be the governance um, body uh, that oversees um, uh, regulation of AI set in place something which isn't necessarily, uh, you know, with all the bells and whistles that the AI Act in Europe has. But the fact is, A, we are, we've been overtaken by Europe. They are pretty close to, you know, finalising the AI Act. We're not exactly sure what the wording is going to be after uh, the political settlement at the end of last year, but it's, it's, it's getting there. And even the US, on a bipartisan basis, um, in Congress, is moving towards legislation, which is very interesting. Um, you know, the, the, the White House, uh, of both flavours, actually, tr the Trump White House kept on the same people um, to uh, uh, work on regulating AI, um, and they came up with the in the Biden administration with the uh, executive order uh, and the blueprint um, uh, for uh, AI. Um, uh, so, you know, I think we're behind the curve, quite honestly. Well, let's uh, look at uh, particularly the EU side um, because that is a sort of a more complete set of of things. Um, what's their approach and i mean what's your view on on how it's all uh, fitting together and, and beginning to work well it's 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 it is a risk based approach to regulation so you can't fault it on that basis i mean you could fault it on the basis that it eliminate it says you that certain uses of ai are unacceptable and so on now some people would argue that it's too early to do that um, but I do think as a stab in the right direction, it is uh, uh, because it's risk based, it requires a conformity assessment uh, up front for an AI system. You calibrate the risk if, if, if there are certain uh, uh, higher risk elements, for instance, it affects um, employment or uh, um, health or uh, education, then, uh, you know, it, you, you regard it as a higher risk form of AI, which requires a greater degree of transparency. But it's not particularly limiting. What you're trying to do um, is make sure that, uh, that, that, it, that there is ethical compliance. Uh, that's what it's all about. So rather than simply saying, look, we need accountability, we need tra uh, transparency, um, we need freedom from bias, for instance. This is a way of uh, 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 looking at the guts of the AI system and saying, is this going to ensure this? Mm -hmm. um, and then you require um, auditing and, and uh, uh, continuous assessment and so on, depending on the risk involved. Um, but, it, it, you know, it, it, people try and paint regulation as being over bureaucratic. But, you know, quite frankly, when you're talking about these large language systems, um, and they're very big players. The regulatory burden on some of these uh, major uh, uh, AI developers is not huge. Mm -hmm. And of course, with Frontier AI, uh, which is often open source, what you have to do is not only regulate the developer, but also the adopter. And mm -hmm. that's the other element which was added fairly late in the day 
in the AI Act. And uh, again, I think they, they got this pretty much right. But, you know, nobody's going to uh, get a hole in one on this. They're, they're going to basically have to iterate over time. Mm. But it's not a bad stab, actually. And um, uh, others are going to follow. I mean, a bit like the fact that the GDPR um, was treated by the gold standard by Microsoft and others in terms of data protection. I suspect that an awful lot of um, uh, bigger um, tech companies mm. developing these AI systems are going to say, right, well, look, you know, it's a market of 450 million people. Um, uh, we're going to um, treat that as the starting point, basically. And then the, it's not as if the US are doing anything or want to do anything particularly different. I can see Congress wanting to pass legislation not dissimilar, actually. Mm. Mm. I, I did want to pick up one thing you said about the idea of both regulating the producers and the adopters of the technology. And it goes back to something you said uh, early when we were talking about the UK, about having the ICO as being the kind of the regulator for this. But of course, depending on what the use of the AI is, um, in any field, there's a whole plethora of existing regulators, people who regulate everything from the Civil Aviation Authority to you can see a whole range of different regulators of use. And how does this uh, sort of cross massive piece of cross cutting technology, which could be regulated by the ICO, interact with a whole set of individual regulators who are looking at sectors or who are looking at tasks and things? How does that matrix work it sounds very complicated well it sounds complicated but what's different from the current data protection regime the ico uh, regulates data in that space right across the board and the regulators are getting better and better at cooperating uh, pooling skills having a center of excellence for instance in the digital space with the uh, digital um, uh, regulation, uh, 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 um, cooperation forum, um, you know, things like that. They are pretty progressive, actually, in this area. So there is a great deal of cooperation. And my thesis is really, and I think this is where I differ from government in a big way, even if gov this government starts to regulate, I suspect they're going to say, oh, it's got to be purely sectoral rather than have a kind of horizontal layer across the top. My view is that what you need is a kind of horizontal layer. It doesn't have to be very a thick layer, but it has to, in a sense, say, prescribe that there need to be certain standards of risk assessment applied. Mm. Um, uh, and that gets us into the international space and the convergence there. But we're, we're obviously going to come on to that. Um, yes. But, you know, it's important to have that horizontal layer so that there is a degree of conformity across sectors, because otherwise, what happens if you're a, a business in multiple sectors? Mm. You know, what what are you expected to do to run around and have different standards uh, of uh, transparency, accountability, freedom from bias and all that in um, uh, different sectors because they've been applied in different ways by the regulator? So you've got to have some sort of layer of mm. uh, of, of regulation across the top. And that's where the ICO in my book comes in as they do with data protection. And quite frankly, if you look across Europe and you see which bodies have picked up the baton, so to speak, on uh, the AI Act, they're nearly all um, uh, data protection authorities, Ireland being a classic case. Hmm. Well, let's look at something you mentioned earlier that we were going to come on to this idea of international convergence and the kind of uh, cross country uh work I, I know you were a founder member of the 
OECD's parliamentary group on AI. Um, and I know that the OECD themselves have done quite a lot of work on this. But um, tell me a little bit about that individual group, that parliamentary group, and, and how that's been stimulating conversations on this sort of across uh, legislatures and across uh, governments? Yes, I've found that at a fantastic way of uh, learning across the board, actually. I mean, you know, I've even heard about um, justice in Brazil uh, mm. being, uh, you know, judges using AI to make their judgments. That was, you know, two or three years ago. And I thought, blimey, this is, uh, this is pretty advanced stuff. I think it's more of a forum for learning for parliamentarians who are interested in this subject. And, you know, we've compared notes. We've had people like Dragos Tudorace, um, who who's the, you know, one of the remain he's a, a Romanian MEP, but he's one of the rapporteurs that has been very heavily involved in the European Parliament in the uh, construction, if you like, and the commenting on the AI Act. Um, uh, and it's people like that that, uh, you know, I've been able to learn from. It's actually the one AI group of experts who've really moved things on uh, with a great deal of encouragement from, if you like, the the, the um, body of the OECD staff, um, uh, who, again, have really um, been um, instrumental in all of this. And each at each moment, they seem to have picked up the appropriate agenda. So, you know, for instance, um, when we were all thinking, what the hell is the def, what, you know, what principles do we need to adopt? Um, the OECD back in 2019 came up with, you know, something that had crunched an awful lot of different codes together. You know, we had more codes than you could shake a stick at back then. Um, and it, so they came up with a with a brilliant set. And then the G20 adopted those uh, in the same year. So that was brilliant. So everybody said, oh, well, we settled that. And then we got to the point about definitions and classification. Well, it was the OECD who came up with the really good paper on classification through the one AI group of experts. And now what they're doing is they're saying, look, guys, we've got so many standards out there. You know, we've got the National Institute for Standards and Technology. We've got the BSI. Uh, we've got the International Standards Authority. We've got the IEEE. We've got Senelec in Europe. You know, we need to actually make sense of all this stuff because if we're going to get international convergence, and after all, we're the OECD, that's our, our role, uh, let's get down to it. And, you know, they've already made really good progress on uh, crunching the risk assessment standard. Um, uh, and I think they're going to make further progress. And, it, you know, uh, you and I were at a meeting the other day with a deputy secretary general and encouraged him to keep up the work, basically, uh, on all this standard setting. Uh, because for me, irrespective of what a jurisdiction does in terms of how mandatory standards are, those standards are going to be absolutely vital. And big tech corporations of whatever kind uh, when they adopt AI systems, want to have uh, convergence. They want to be able to trade across boundaries. They want not to have to look over their shoulder incessantly about whether a particular jurisdiction has a different regime. So it, I think irrespective of whether it's mandatory, the particular uh, uh, jurisdiction that they do business in, they're going to conform, they're going to want to conform to a single standard. Well, uh, I think, and I'm quite an optimist, maybe people say I'm over-optimistic, but I am optimistic we're going to get 
there. And actually, the way we're going to get there, I mean, uh, you know, you may have to exclude the OEC, uh, exclude Russia or something, but um, uh, even China uh, is, uh, you know, developing quite strong regulation around um, AI. Uh, a particular frontier frontier AI. So uh, I do think that convergence um, is beginning to happen. So one thing that did happen in the last few months was the AI Safety Summit that was organised by the UK, held in Bletchley Park in November. How far did that take some of the sort of the international government level conversations forward? And, and you know, what are the next steps, if you like, that are sort of coming out of that? Uh, that's, that's such a leading question, Gavin. Um, I mean, carefully uh, phrased. I thought it was carefully yeah, phrased. Very carefully phrased. I was unimpressed because I don't think AI is all about safety. It is partly about safety, of course it is, but it's also about the ethics. And the ethics didn't seem to get much of a look in, except in a sort of sentence at the beginning of the uh, Bletchley um, communicate at the end. Uh, 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 you know, I think as a way of convening people and maybe the UK demonstrating that it's interested in this subject, fine. Um, but, you know, we've got another one in six months' time. We've got, um, I think, South Korea and uh, uh, in five months or whatever it is, and then France after that. Um, I I'm not quite sure what it's all designed to achieve. I think there are many other aspects. I think we need to think much more about what we're doing. Mm. Uh, it, it, you know, an awful lot of the Bletchley Summit seemed to me to be about window dressing. And frankly, um, the most important aspect of it wasn't, the, it, for, for my money, the international aspect. It was the convening of all the fringe uh, meetings around it. There were some extremely useful fringe meetings, but the common theme of almost every single fringe meeting that I meant to, uh, that I went to, was why isn't the government getting its act together in terms of quicker regulation? Because, mm. you know, we're going backwards when we're looking at the data protection bill currently. It's, it's watering down uh, subject rights in terms of automated decision-making. It's watering down the data protection impact assessment, which is something actually we could have built on for AI. Mm. We could have made it a data protection and AI impact assessment that was mm. necessary. Um, so I, the, the, it's, I'm afraid I think the AI summit is not um, is not my, really my cup of tea, and um, uh, I, I doubt that it will go very far. Quite frankly, well, let's take the criticism that you just said for people of the fringe about what the government is actually doing. Uh, so let me put you on the spot. What do you think either the current government or any government that comes in after an election this year um, should do in the next two or three years, you know, reasonable length of time to get there, to get to get some action going? What do you think are those next steps from here to, to, to yeah. get things going? Well, I think it's very straightforward. It, this isn't about freedom of expression. So it's not nearly as complicated as the Online Safety Act. Um, it's about basically installing uh, the basics of uh, risk assessment, and so what you do is you uh, uh, you you know you start legislating for a form of risk assessment that is mandatory, um, uh, and you set a standard which conforms to uh, international standards. Um, you don't even have to be overly prescriptive about the kind of risk assessment um, because, you know, uh, there are certain elements you need to prescribe, but it doesn't have to be that mm. granular. Uh, government also uh, needs to um, 
uh, set a good example, I would set up a if an AI systems register. There are many people who say, look, what government needs to do, they have to have, you know, within government, they have to pledge themselves before they introduce AI systems into their own uh, functions. They need an algorithm, algorithmic risk assessment um, themselves, but they also need to be transparent about what, say, for instance, the DWP is using or uh, the criminal justice system is using in terms of AI systems. So we need to register um, in that respect. We need also to have subject rights, and I mentioned them briefly earlier, um, uh, greater subject rights in terms of automated decision making. It shouldn't just be that you're entitled to you know, explanation and so on, uh, when it's fully automated, what you need is to be able to um, uh, know whether there is a system in place that is affecting uh, decisions over you or a group of people uh, uh, you're involved in, uh, whether it's wholly or partially automated. So, you know, it's things like that where government needs to lead the way. And of course, you know, you get me onto live facial recognition and I spin off into all kinds of other things. But so it's partly government being able to put things into effect, which actually uh, doesn't require regulation. It just requires a very strong um, compliance um, system being set up. And then on the other hand, um, uh, mandatory risk assessment. Um, and uh, you could start there. Uh, mm. And what you're doing is you're saying, we're going to make sure that you have to adopt standards that incorporate those ethics that we've mm. been talking around. And mm. this is what we regard as responsible AI. So, uh, you know, quite frankly, I, I, you know, I, I can't see. And there was a very good report from one of the all party groups, the, digi, uh, the, the data analytics all party group, which, you know, took us through exactly what the legislative program could be an entirely practical approach. Um, so this isn't some pie in the sky thing. And if the EU can do it with 27 countries, for heaven's sake, why on earth can't we? Yeah. Well, we'll we will have to see what the government does. We're coming towards the end of our time, but I did want to ask you, since you just mentioned uh, the the uh, a different APPG, um, what are the uh, APPG on AI focusing on at the moment and, and over the coming year or so? Well, it's it's really interesting. And by the way, I think we have a response to the white paper coming out very, very shortly, probably um, within a week and probably before uh, your event. Um, so I think that's going to give quite a talking point uh, if it comes up with anything. My worry is that it will be uh, the the the. the uh, uh, the the mouse that roared really um it you know it won't i don't think it will be anything but as far as your party group's concerned it's very interesting we tend to be quite eclectic in in what we look at over a period of time uh, you know our most recent meeting and one absolutely crucial area is this whole interface between ai and intellectual property and of course we have a minister who in a sense has responsibility for both so it's very timely. Um, and, uh, you know, there are people like uh, the uh, the Actors Union Equity um, who've got a big campaign, don't let AI steal the show. Uh, the writers are really concerned about this. What was at the root of the writers and actors strike in Hollywood? It was AI. So we've been examining that. And, um, uh, you know, there are um, real requirements for transparency and for uh, making sure that we're absolutely clear about um, synthesization, for instance, of performers. Um, we're absolutely clear that ingestion by these large language models of great swathes of books and 
um, newspaper, digital newspaper articles uh, is a breach of copyright and they need to be licensed. You know, we mm. can't just give uh, uh, large language model developers a, a, a free pass on that. So that's a big issue. Um, then we've got the whole uh, uh, um, uh, AI application in the law, both in justice and in legal practice. We've got a, a, a meeting coming up on that because lawyers are um, moving very, very fast on the inside uh, um, to uh, automate quite a lot of their processes. And they're using these language models to detect uh, uh, um, things like anti-competitive behavior, money laundering behavior um, uh, in uh, communications and so on, which, you know, is, is, is very interesting as well. Um, I'd say the third area um, that really concerns us, and uh, it's been a lot of talk this year because we've got, you know, what, four countries, 70 countries, populations of four billion in total having elections this year is the impact of deep fakes mm. uh, uh, and all that aspect of AI on um, on democracy and the, the elections coming down the track. So those, that's just a selection. But I could, you know, I could talk about um, uh, uh, skills, the workforce, the impact on, uh, you know, using AI for performance. I could talk about... Um, uh, uh, smart cities, you know, there's a whole range of things. But it, I, I mean, that's the thing about AI. You could, it, it, it is the technology uh, of the future. And yeah. uh, we need to keep a very close eye both on its benefits and on its risks. And that's why government needs to be active, not passive. Uh, well, that's a good place to finish and a good message to finish on. Uh, that's all we have time for today. But uh, Lord Clement Jones, thank you very much. Pleasure. You've been listening to the podcast from the Foundation for Science and Technology. My guest this week was Lord Tim Clement-Jones, Liberal Democrats House of Lords Spokesman for Science, Technology and Innovation. On the 28th of February 2024, the Foundation for Science and Technology will be holding an event entitled Can AI Be Regulated? And if so, how? Details of that event, which is free to attend in person or online, can be found on our website at www.foundation.org.uk. Also on the website are details of all our other events, our journal and all previous editions of this podcast. Until the next time, goodbye.